In the name of the Creator, Liberator, and Sustainer of the universe. Amen. The Bible is a shocking book, a book which, because we are somewhat familiar with it, we often have domesticated the shocking nature of the Bible itself. The 19th century theologian, Danish theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, often said that he was absolutely shocked when certain passages of scripture were read in church and there was no reaction. He said, for example, when the story of the rich young man who came to Jesus and Jesus told him what he needed to do to sell all that he had and give to the poor, and that the man went away sad because he was very rich. Kierkegaard said he always looked around in the cathedral in Copenhagen to see how many of the rich people who were there were going to get up and walk out. And he said none of them never did. And he wondered what they had done with the text itself. It is easy to domesticate the gospel of Jesus, and it is easy to domesticate the Bible, particularly when we hear it read in church. The Bible is a shocking book, both on the divine and human level. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, the stars, the skies, the animals, including us, called Israel to bear witness to the reality of God's love for the entire universe, and then that God, God entered into our human history and became incarnate. The creator of the universe enters into our history, becomes a human being. And then in what Jürgen Moltmann called one of the most shocking realities in all of religious history, becomes a crucified God, a crucified God who, who reigns from the cross and then is raised from the dead. Jesus is raised from the dead. The Bible is shocking at, at, the, at the divine level in terms of what it reveals about God's love for us. But it's also shocking at the human level it's shocking when we think of the great leaders in the Bible, when we think of how, how awful some of them were. For example, the greatest king that, that Israel ever had was David. And David, at one point in his life, takes another man's wife and then has the man put in front of the battle that took place the following day so he can be killed, Uriah the Hittite. They used to say about those of us who work in campus ministry that we all belong to the order of Uriah the Hittite because we had been put on the front lines and then our bishops had said, withdraw all supporting forces. <laughs> and there we were. Peter. 
Peter, the rock upon which the church was to be built, stands, stands at the cross and three times curses and said he never knew Jesus. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, when the great saints of the Bible are listed, begins with Abel, then it moves through Abraham, Moses, on down the line, and then all of a sudden, and then there was the great Rahab the prostitute. Now, why in the world is Rahab the prostitute listed in this list of Moses, Abraham, David? It says because of the faithfulness of Rahab the faithfulness of Rahab. She, at one point in, in the history of Israel, saved the lives, saved the lives of two Israelites who had come to scout out a camp. Bible doesn't say why they happened to be in her house, but anyway, she did, she did save their lives and was remembered as a person of great faith. The Bible is a shocking book. In the 56th chapter of the book of Isaiah, a chapter which we believe was written after the Babylonian captivity, the second captivity, the prophet Isaiah reminds the people of Israel that God hears the prayers of the foreigner that the temple is to be a house of prayer for all people. You know, one of the struggles that Israel had, and perhaps all religious people have, is that, and this is very clear in the Bible, when God makes a decision, when God chooses a people, such as the people of Israel, they are not chosen so that they can have a lot of great rewards. They are chosen to bear reality, to bear witness to the reality of the ongoing liberation work of God in human history. People are called and chosen not for privilege, oh, that is sort of a privilege, but they are called to bear witnesses to God's ongoing liberation action in human history. People of Israel again and again and again forgot that reality. So the prophet has to remind them. The prophet has to remind them, you are not all that there is. The prophet has to remind them that God's love is universal. Again and again, people would forget that. Exclusivism is a temptation particularly for religious people. Exclusivism is a temptation for all people, but especially for religious people who believe that they may have been especially chosen by God or in some way, as some do, that they are somehow better than other people. 
In the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, our second reading for today, Paul is crystal clear that he has been called to be a missionary, a witness to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are non-Jewish people. Now, Paul is also very clear that he did not always think this way. Paul at one time believed that the Jewish people were the only people who were the beneficiaries of God's liberating action in human history. Now, it's also important for us to realize that we sometimes get Paul's message confused. For example, many so-called evangelicals debate about the salvation of the Jews. Well, in the Bible, the issue is not the salvation of the Jews. The struggle in the Bible is the salvation of the Gentiles. Can Gentiles become part of this community of Jews? Christian church was all Jewish at the time. And it's shocking to see the struggles that the early church went through. Many prominent Christian leaders initially said, no, Gentiles can't be in. Gentiles can't be in, only Jews. And there was a major conflict. There was a whole party within the church, sort of like the early Anglican Orthodox Church, that was formed right in the, in the first century. That was Jews only. But Paul said, Paul said, the message of God's liberating action in human history is for all people. And the book of Romans is very clear about that. It's also very clear that God did not break any covenant with the people of Israel, that they are still God's people. Paul is very clear, Paul is very clear that the God of the Bible is the universal God. Our gospel reading this morning is also a shocking story. It comes from the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel, and it, and it gives us a picture of Jesus that we don't particularly like to see. I am absolutely convinced that if the early church could have suppressed this story, they would have. But the story was already out there in the oral, oral tradition, so they really couldn't. Now, some of the early church fathers tried to clean it up. They said that Jesus was engaged in a pedagogical method to teach this woman to have more faith, but he must have also instructed the disciples to go along with it, and everyone had the lines down correctly for that to be the case. But as we have gone along, we see that was not the case. The truth was, and this is what's shocking for us, is that it seems that Jesus sort of initially bought the view that his mission was just for Jews. He was part of the culture of his day. It appeared that Jesus also bought into some of the cultural prejudices of his own people. Matthew tells us in this gospel reading, this gospel reading, that Jesus is traveling with his disciples 
And this woman, and she's clearly identified as a Canaanite woman, that means an enemy of the people of Israel, traditional enemy of the people of Israel. But this Canaanite woman comes shouting and screaming after him, protesting. Listen to me, I know that you can heal my daughter. And she won't shut up. She persisted. She persisted. Now, Jesus initially pays almost no attention to this woman. He, he wants nothing to do with this woman. You know, the second chapter of Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and understanding, but we don't want to believe it. We believe he just came out of the womb knowing everything right off the bat. Well, that's not true. As a human being, he grew. In this case, he, he, he seems to have internalized the values of his own culture. He looks at this woman. He doesn't want to pay much attention to her. He keeps going on. She keeps yelling at him. And the disciples, who, who obviously believe the traditional beliefs that the Canaanites are enemies and you shouldn't have much to do with them, especially a Canaanite woman. She's a woman, she's a Canaanite, she's a pagan, and she's screaming. She didn't come up and say, please, please heal my daughter. No. She says, stop what you're doing. My daughter needs to be healed. I know you can do it. Do it. Disciples say, send her away. We don't like that kind of people in the church. They scream, they make too much noise, they protest. We prefer more pietistic types. Jesus turns to her and in very shocking language, he says to her, woman, you don't take the children's food and give it to the dogs. That's what Jewish people, many of them call Canaanites. We often hear that same sort of language today referred to people that we seek to dehumanize. But the woman doesn't shut up. The woman comes right back and she says, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table, heal my daughter. And then there is a change. Jesus sees something in this woman. He sees her as a human being. Now, this was a profound transformation. Not only was she a Canaanite, but she was also asking for healing for a daughter. And in first century Palestine, very often daughters were not valued as much as sons. I mean, that was clear. But we believe that many families would not raise more than one daughter. Heal my daughter. And Jesus said to her, Woman, great is your faith, and the daughter is restored because of this protesting, screaming, foreign woman who confronted the prejudice that existed in the chosen people of God and the chosen one of God. 
New Testament scholars will tell you that the only person who won, ever won a debate in the New Testament with Jesus was this woman. She is also the only person in Matthew's gospel who is called a person of great faith. Jesus was transformed by listening to the protest of a foreign woman, which I think, among other things, means that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you must be open and willing to listen to those voices of those foreigners who scream today. You know, foreigners come in many forms. Some foreigners are refugees who today are dehumanized by our government in a way that in fact sentenced them to death. We today take people who have come from a great deal of violence in Central America and stop them at the border and then put them in camps in Mexico where there, is, where there are diseases, or we deport them back to the situation that they fled, or we take their children and we separate their children from them and put them in cages and then put them in camps in Mexico. What kind of people do that? Foreigners, as I was saying, come in many different forms. Some are, some are people who come from other countries. Some are people who, who are in our own society who function in different ways. The foreigner may be, for some people, the homosexual person. The foreigner may, for some people, be the person who thinks in a different way. The foreigner, for some people, may be a person of a different skin color. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to be open to listening to those protests. You've got to be open to listening to the voices of those women who cry for their children right this moment in Ciudad Juarez. You've got to be open to listening. You've got to be open to listening to the voice of the three women who founded Black Lives Matter. You've got to be open to listening to those who suffer and call out for healing. Because that's what Jesus did even though he had been trained and orientated in a different direction. We are called to a transformation in our society today. We are called to hear the cry of the Canaanite woman, but not only to hear, hear the cry of the Canaanite woman, we're called to be in solidarity with the Canaanite woman. We are called to do all that we can do to make sure that her daughter lives. That her daughter lives. You know, we live in a world 
in which we are going to see a vast number of refugees in the next 10 years. We're going to see more refugees than the world has ever seen in its history by far. Even now, even now, we are seeing farmers from Guatemala coming by the hundreds because the soil in which they grow coffee has been so damaged by climate change that they cannot raise the beans that make the coffee that people will buy. We are seeing people who come from El Salvador because the land is farmland is turning into desert because of climate change and the rivers are polluted so that people cannot use the water. We're going to have to decide, we're going to have to decide whether we want to be really nationalistic like the disciples and say, send her away. Or do we want to turn like Jesus and say, woman, great is your faith. We want your daughter to live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in reflecting on prophetic preaching that whenever the word was pronounced that went forth from the preacher, that Jesus walked through the congregation and that Jesus was always looking, always looking for those hearts that had been affected by the word so that he might enter. My prayer for you this day, as we reflect on this passage, this shocking passage, that we will realize that we need to be shocked. We need to be shocked, we need to be turned around, we need to be transformed. We need to have Jesus transform our heart so that we will not only hear the cry of the Canaanite woman, but enter into solidarity with her. And finally, let there be peace among us and let us never be instruments of our own or anyone else's oppression. Amen.